Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode of the Racket Magazine podcast is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, offering iconic tracksuits, classic polos, and the new Youngline sneaker. Originally designed in the mid-1980s, it's our favorite spring silhouette, and it's back. You can get it now at SergioTacchini.com, and follow them on Instagram at SergioTacchini underscore official for updates. Enter the promo code RACKETMAG at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your order. I'm good. You're on the road. I am on the road. I am on the road. I've been on the road for a couple of weeks. I was uh, doing a little bit of work with Jeannie Bouchard and around all the very responsible female tennis players. Lots of uh, great couple of events that we've had and um, the tournaments in Charleston and one just recently in Lexington. And, uh, you know, they've been great. They've been really fantastic. Well, I have a lot of follow-up questions for that, but that's going to have to wait until you're back here in New York because there's so much to unpack in those very few sentences you just talked about. Uh, but the task at hand is to introduce someone you were able to catch up with in Charleston at one of those exhibitions you were just referring to. And she is, of course, Victoria Azarenka, former world number one, Grand Slam champion, uh, mother, fascinating person. Tell me a little bit about the backstory of how you guys sat down. I got to tell you, you know, we, we, you and I have spoken a lot about, you know, some of the people we really love to get. And Vika's always been on our list of players for so many reasons and I think what everyone's going to hear in this podcast is somebody that maybe they don't realize um that is very deep very very we all know she's emotional she always showed her heart on her sleeve when she played but I think what she's gone through over the last couple of years with the ups and downs obviously having a fantastic um couple of years and winning you know back-to-back Australian Opens and then you know the surprise of uh getting pregnant and then having to the the next year and or so after that dealing with custody battles and having to almost um, hide her emotions of what she was dealing with through that time is very evident in this uh, podcast what you don't see is what I saw on zoom which was someone get very very emotional at one point and um yeah she's just a really great introspective person and it shows in this podcast 
a couple of things to listen for in this show that I was really, really struck by when I was listening to the audio was number one, her son Leo is very heavily involved. So if you want to hear what that guy's uh, verbal skills currently are up to, you can hear him doing a little guest chatter uh, here and there. And the other thing was, um, you know, Vika, I think has always been to me, somebody who has had a, a lot of depth and she's always had a lot of interest in various music, art, culture, ideas. She's lived in the States, I think, for a long time. Um, and to hear her talk about the Black Lives Matter movement was really interesting as well. Like, that's not something you necessarily would bring up as a topic for her to dive into. And she did, and she spoke about it really earnestly with a lot of passion and heart and in a way that was um, really moving. And so it was really imp interesting to hear her talk not only about the past and you know, the future of what tennis has for her, but also the present. Yeah, I think one of the great things throughout this whole process is that Vika, I think, has grown as a person after having her watching, you know, the last few years. But you're going to hear it very much so on this podcast with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure for me to have this woman on the Racket Magazine podcast. She's down in Florida, and I just got to see her in Charleston where she played a couple of matches. It's been a long time since she's played a lot of matches. We have former world number one, multiple Grand Slam singles champion, Vika Azarenka. Vika, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So this is a fun podcast. Uh, we don't have to get all serious. You can even swear if you want. But, uh, I mean, you know me, so I'm never shy with that stuff. I guess let's talk a little bit. I'm going to let you talk as much as you want, believe it or not. So <laughs> I want to know, Vika, like, you know, coming from Belarus, I guess, how did you start? Like, how did you get into tennis? Um, well, I started when I was seven years old um, by coincidence that is pretty much, I think, shaped my, shaped my life. Um, my mom started working in a tennis center. Um, which had nothing to really do with tennis. Neither she knew anything about tennis or we had any, any connection whatsoever to tennis. And I was just coming from school um, after, after my school to, to, to see my mom because it was just right by our house. And, um, and then she just like gave me a racket to distract me. So I would let her work. And I went to this like a little gym and started to just, you know, mess around a little bit and get myself busy with a racket and uh, a group of kids with a coach came in and they had um, they had their lesson and they asked me if I wanted to join and I was like no no I'm scared and I ran away and then my mom brought me back and and I started to you know it was it was really fun kind of um way to start because I had like 40 kids in a little gym so it's super crowded and we didn't start anything on the tennis court it was just like all the games you know touch with the racket and uh, coordination and um, you know thinking back to it it's like that was my first introduction that kind of um, we were driving here helped me later on to understand like the feel of the racket the touch and you know the coordination and being able to do different things so it was really fun and um, I wanted to to join after and um, then it was history I, I never left <laughs> I was all constantly playing um, on the court on, on the wall because that's how I started and uh, yeah I was just very very passionate right away so wait so what was your mom doing at the club 
she was just working like an administrator, you know, just like letting people in. And oh yeah, I had nothing, absolutely like zero to do with tennis. Oh my God, that's so crazy. It's amazing to me how many players, you know, either talked to or interviewed how random it is that they got into their sport. I mean, Mary Pierce, for example, said she only started playing at 10 and she went with a friend to the courts and said, that looks like fun and decided to go on the court at 10. So I guess that's a good thing for it's a good thing for parents to hear because it's like, you know, you hear these parents that get their kids into like Saddlebrook or like, you know, IMG or Moritaglu at like four and they're like getting their kids in. It's about, I guess, what you're saying for you it was about having fun with your other friends and peers, right? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, being a parent now and understanding kind of the concept, I think that also I've been pretty aware um, of the situation even with my with my own fellow peers, like my age, that how much pressure there was coming from parents, you know, to go and make it. And it's like, I see some, when I see a seven year old with a personal coach and a, and a fitness coach, you're like, dude, seriously, like just let them be kids and let them enjoy and have fun. Cause that, that kind of burns out after 14. And like you, you always question, is it for, you're doing it for the kid or you're doing it for your own reasons, you know, and um, trying to push them to be who you want them to be. And so it's, it's always pretty sad. And like, I mean, we have our, like our ways of motivation, I guess, and um, inspiration and why we do what we do. But I feel like once you lose the passion and once you lose fun, if you're if you're doing it, um, it doesn't really take you that far. Um, takes you, you know, to a certain limit, but it doesn't necessarily fulfill your full potential. There is, and for kids, it's it's really tough to see that, you know, um, just how how much pressure there is um, from from coming from parents. Um, I watched this documentary, uh, Trophy Kids it's it just like it he pictured it so well and i and i was able to talk to his name is peter Berg. the way he captioned this whole moment it's it basically is following four different types of four of i think four or five sports it was tennis golf uh football american football and basketball so four sports four different kids different cultures different everything and it's just insane like how much first of all this was already on camera so that people were aware that it was on camera so i can only imagine what was going on behind the scenes and and what he did incredibly was picture while the parent was talking the kids reaction up close and you can see everything and it was it was just like i actually have seen those kids where i grew, when i grew up and one thing i'm very lucky about is like my parents never made me feel that way you know, I've never heard that story from you personally. Like, I've never asked you that question. Somebody asked me the other day, like, what's the most important ingredient you feel is for someone to be a successful athlete? In your opinion, then, like, sort of looking at it from that perspective, for you, what's the most important thing that they have? Well, I don't think there's one. I think everybody has kind of their own strengths and their own weaknesses. So I think it's, it's about, like, finding your strength and really make that drive you and then always learning how to make your weaknesses stronger. So I think it depends on, on the person, but something that, that it probably stands out from, from, from everybody who, who makes it is the ability to go past no, past I can't, um, 
past you won't you will like you just make those into um kind of a yes type of situations and to never give up i think that's what really makes a champion is is you know you can be talented the hard work definitely has to be there but something that goes beyond that is ability never to give up and turn your no's into yeses so the refusal to lose is kind of more important than wanting to win i will say that i will say that but it makes it more about the result and sometimes it gets it gets tricky i think it's more about like the process of actually staying in the moment and going you know no matter what so I think it mess like it, it would mess with me a little bit more if you just think about the result mm-hmm. and not actually doing that. I think you lose that, mm-hmm. you know, the moment in the present. And but finding it, you know, finding that that um, kind of being in the zone and being actually able not to let anything bother you. I think that's that's really hard. Yeah, it's funny. My answer was um, for me, you had to have passion in the end like it's sort of sort of what you're saying like you you as a parent can push your kid so far but if you you're if you don't have the passion for what you're doing then it's really hard to be super successful in the long run um i think i think we've seen like you know with with examples they're very rare examples but you do see the people who are not passionate and they're just really good at it it's just really a matter of like is was that a full was that fulfilling you was that everything that you could do, you know, and I mean, reading book of Agassi, like I had to close it because as soon as I heard he hates tennis, it was like, hmm, I don't, I don't know if I want to read about it. You know, that, no, I didn't finish it, but that, that really turned me off and I'm a huge fan of him, but kind of hearing that, I understand why, I understand why, but it just, at that point, when I started to reading, it was like mentally, I don't, I don't really want to go to that place to listen finish the book it's really good in the end i cried the second to last page and you'll know why if you do finish the book because i I think i think i I, I understand i know the story without even the book Uh, so i so i do understand i understand like everything that happened but it was just it was just like that approach didn't resonate with me from the way i felt before and and i have this feeling like when i meet you know, people that I really admire, sometimes I'm scared to meet them because if like you kind of see the, the real person sometimes and you're like, I can't be a fan of them anymore or I, or the other way around. So I'm always very, ner- very nervous about that. All right. So that's interesting for me because in some respects, like when you were coming through, you had obviously you had your first success in Grand Slam play when you actually won us open mixed doubles in 2007 randomly i was there that day and i remember it when you won it and you were so young and it was like this moment um but you were always really hard on yourself early on in your career um, yeah. where was that period of time though that went from sort of that period of 2007 2008 of having success and winning some slams young in mixed and then having some double success and then eventually obviously in 2012 winning the australian open and 2013 what changed for you in that period of time? Because I think it was more for me from watching you and knowing you and playing against you. For me, it was more emotionally. Like you were, you were so much more level as a, as a person on court. What was the difference maker? Um, well, obviously, you know, the difference is learning from your experience. You know, I've, um, a lot of times 
people think like oh, your success came like super fast you know and if you look at it from kind of numbers wise the age that i was at and everything it does seem you know pretty pretty significant you know at 16 i was playing full on tour already um by 17 i was i think top 50 or something like this i i don't so it feels like it was quick but to me it felt so long like especially after juniors going you know from being pretty much undefeated and i pretty much was undefeated in junior especially my last year I won six out of eight Grand Slams, um, singles and doubles. Um, I lost like two matches in a year, so. That's okay. That's okay, right? And then you go into playing, you know, qualifying in uh, 25 and 15,000 and you get your ass kicked and you're like, fuck, am I that good? I was just, I was just unbeatable, you know? I was just, you know, I was the shit. And now it's like, you're winning, winning, and then someone just outgrinds you and you're like, there you know your ego starts to get hit so much because like they're not more talented than me like they have some like bad shots and whatever that's what's like going through your mind if we're being honest and you're like how am i losing these matches and stuff so so that felt like you know that was like a process for me to get into like okay you know you gotta you gotta fight no matter what doesn't matter who is on the opposite side and and it was really about, I think, from starting to 17 is like, you're not losing to the opponent, really. You're losing to yourself. So why don't you try to eliminate one more opponent? You just have one. Don't make two opponents, you know, when you go out on the court. And I think that that was helpful for me. But, but again, it's like, you know, before I won my first Grand Slam, I was ready to, like, stop because I wasn't feeling passionate. I wasn't feeling like... You know, I'm I'm fulfilling myself. It was just a lot of grind, grind, grind. And it's like a lot of, you know, you're basically kind of skipping your whole childhood. You're, you're, you, sometimes you were like unsure. Am I doing the right thing? Am I happy? Am I not? And for me, I always play, you know, with my heart. If I feel good, I play good. And I think it shows, it, it really shows. That's how, that's one thing that I think people do notice about me is that passion that I bring on the court. I bring my whole, my whole self is, is there. So I feel you. Yeah. So it's, um, I think that was like, you know, starting, you know, to kind of learning from your experience, um, taking like bad hits and some bad losses, you know, losing like four, four finals before I won my first, um, my first title um was very like painful but it was really monumental for me to kind of go um go again and then you know I felt like after that um there was very few finals that I've lost um after I got to the final um so I think that also kind of shaped my mentality going into that last match is like okay this is the most important stage you know how it feels the other way and so I think it's it's all about learning experience and it's like you have to be ready to to have that success at some point you know sometimes people get success they're not ready and it kind of goes goes sideways from there and um yeah what just on that subject like look we've seen a number of players win grand slams and really struggle afterwards i mean I will say that the one thing that i have always and said about you when you won your first australian open is that you were one player after 
Serena in particular, um, after Venus, after Serena, after those, you know, great Grand Slam champions, you know, Lindsay, Kim Kleisters, who would win a slam and never looked like they were like, all right, I'm just going to mentally kind of shut down for a little while because this is all too much for me. Like, and you know what it's like when you win a slam, look, there's tons more press. There's tons more pressure on you. There's way more expectation. Everyone thinks you're supposed to do it again, you know, and it's not easy. You've got social media, you've got all this, this extra stuff on you now, but you are one player that I thought handled it as well as anybody I've seen in a long time that actually one wasn't good enough. Like you were one player that wanted to consistently get better the next Grand Slam and wanted to win the next Grand Slam and wasn't afraid to win the next Grand Slam. I mean, that's, well, that's unique. Like what, what made you that way? Um, look, you had your injuries after it. We know the story afterwards, but I felt that you were one player that actually really truly believed they belonged in finals and winning Grand Slams. Well, I... I think, you know, it, it goes back to from, you know, how I grew up and, and everything that kind of put the foundation. And, and what I said is like, sometimes people are just not ready for the success. And I don't want to take away anybody's, you know, victory away from them. But when you don't win and constantly play on the level, beating top 10 players and making it far to the tournament just didn't make that extra step. It's, it's, it seems like, well, we didn't expect that from any, from that player. I think my the way I played and the, before I won the Grand Slam, like I was expected to win already the Grand Slam. Like I kept showing the results that it was really close for me making it there. Um, it wasn't a surprise, and we've seen some you know examples of players who are, I don't know don't win a match for like six months and then all of a sudden play amazing tennis and they just fully deserve that that win because they were the best at that time but i think that's where consistency is lacking a little bit because there isn't consistency before so how do you expect the consistency to be after that is is a little bit questionable so and then with all those things on top of that that adds to it is like you know that's that makes it even harder than the first time so for me it was like I love that feeling and I always love the pressure if I don't have pressure like I really don't see myself playing at all like it's not fun like if I'm bored and there's been some tournaments where I'm like oh god like I just I just don't feel like going and it's not because okay you want to you you have to like overcome your own it's just like I just don't want to go out there because I don't feel like playing. It's not, it's not going to be fun for me. It's not, it's not going to drive me to like, you know, to go that extra step. So I'd rather get myself ready for, for big events. And for me, it was always about big titles. It was always about big tournaments, big events, big opponents. Um, so when, when that pressure came with being number one and you kind of having your target, target on your back always it was um it was uncomfortable but it was that what was driving me like it drives me to feel like someone wants to beat me someone wants to be better than me so explain the competitive side. And, and explain uncomfortable well uncomfortable because sometimes you just gotta work harder 
like in the way that you know you you and even like even if I wasn't number one when I wasn't number one I I kept feeling like somebody goes out there and they're like they're gonna play harder than they, they play against some somebody else and you're like why man like why and I remember that particular actual match um I was playing in 2016 um I was playing Miami right right after I won Indian Wells I was playing Monica Puig in second round Miami because I was seated and at and, night I believe was huh but at night yeah, it was night match. It was night match. It was like 9 p.m. And I was like, okay. And I was I was having conversation with him. And he told me like this and that, you know, and this and that. And then I go out there and she just hits the shit out of every ball. And like playing like unbelievable. And I'm looking at him and, and I'm like, what the hell did you tell me before the match? Like, have you watched the matches before? Like, I mean, it's a, it's a different player for what you told me. And I have never played against her before. So he was like, Vika, like, I'm telling you, she, it was like a completely different match. I'm going to go take that match and you're going to, sh- and I'm going to show you. And I said, well, I don't know what you did, but this was like, this was another player from what, like completely different from what you told me. So he was like, I don't know. So, so that was kind of like what I, what I felt a lot of times and with a lot of players. So what I'm saying about being uncomfortable is being able to accept that, you know kind of that next step and 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 we see that with with not a lot of players but few players um who does experience that um same kind of i would say target on their back and obviously when you become you know top 10 and obviously everybody do want to prove that but what i'm saying is like even if you're not top 10 you still kind of have that that feeling you know when somebody plays against you they kind of extra want want to win yeah did you feel like when you got to number one and you won the slams that you had to, not that you, you always are working hard, but do you think that you were trying to add even more things because you knew the target was on your back and people were going to try and just like do whatever they could to beat, to beat you? Um, was it more the mental side or was it more you needed to keep adding things to your game to even stay at, at the best? Because, I mean, there was a period of time there in 2012 and 13 where you were so good. I mean, the, the, the thing, I think physically and, you know, tennis-wise was something that um, you have to just constantly maintain, you know. The thing with being mentally is, like, you have to constantly adjust. And that's kind of the beauty of our sport is um, there's always an adjustment. Like, no matter how good you are, how good you feel, there's days that that you – always always have to adjust to conditions to circumstances to opponent to whatever so that um i feel like that was something that was helping me being there you know consistent Mm -hmm. being able to adjust to situations um and you know like when people say, oh, you played so well, 2013, Australian Open, I, pl- I felt so bad that whole tournament. Like, I felt like I can't put the ball in the court. I seriously, I, f- I was so uncomfortable. Um, I felt like I had no timing on, on, my, on, my, on my balls or anything like that. I was just not. And then, but I'm winning matches and I'm finding the way to win matches. And it definitely wasn't the way I was playing. It was just me finding the way to win. And finding the way to, um, in a way, like 
destroy kind of my opponent because I think it was the third round in that year where I almost lost to Jamie, the American girl. I forgot her last name. That match was like, I was, I was about to be packing home. Like I, cause I was just not feeling well, my, like my game at all, but somehow I stuck in there and I found the way to win. Yeah, I think that's the key, right? I mean, you, you, when you look at people, how they win a Grand Slam, they don't win them easily. They, they have to battle through a lot of matches. And not everybody, Serena, sometimes just walking through a, a tournament winning in straight sets. And even Serena's had some tough matches. There is a, always a match that is going to almost send you home before you like pick, pick it up on another level. So. This episode of the Racket Magazine podcast is brought to you by Sergio Tacchini, revitalizing and disrupting the status quo since 1966. Follow them on Instagram at Sergio Tacchini underscore official and go to SergioTacchini.com for more. Enter the promo code RACKETMAG at checkout and you'll get 30% off your order. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Exactly. Um, look, you, you know, you obviously had a, a couple of tough years with some injuries in 14 and 15, but, um, you know, when you had the sunshine double that you talked about when you won and then obviously, you know, surprise, surprise, everybody, uh, I'm pregnant. Like, yeah. I mean, that time of your life, like, can I ask you like legit, like what you thought when you, when you realized that you were pregnant at that time? Um, I was, obviously a little bit shocked but it was it was a really tough time for me during that uh that period um you know after the sunshine double it was it was very very difficult time for me and my family because i just found out my mom had four stage cancer mm -hmm. and me coming back and not even knowing like what was going on was was a huge shock for me so when um when I when I found out what you know I was pregnant, I wasn't I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. It was like, oh, I'm never gonna play tennis again, probably, you know. And then like everything, like you have options of you know different situations, and um, it was like I, it happened in Wimbledon. So I was like, oh, I don't know, like I need <laughs> I probably need a week to to figure things out and uh, and make a decision. So it was. It was um, obviously a very tough choice, but I wouldn't change it for the world, for sure. 
and now we have spit here this guy is going <laughs> does he look like me yeah he looks like you we've been because this is a podcast people can't see it but uh we've been joined on the podcast by leo, um, by leo how much did that you have your trials and tribulations after that we all know sort of like the difficulties that were coming from you know dealing with the relationship as well and it's been very well documented that you had to you know had, had to struggle with the custody battle um so it was it's been a tough couple of years for you but can you put into words like the last few years as far as like tennis and you know the custody battle and leo and it's it's you've had to deal with a lot of stuff on your own and you're obviously away from your family um you know you're in the u.s they're not um often i mean can you put into words like how difficult the last couple of years have been for you i mean in a few words it's kind of impossible to be honest but um yeah <laughs> but i think you know, I'm. I've been always very protective of this side of this side because um, I don't. I don't really wanted to talk about it so much of what was going on because I'm very self-aware that you know the stuff you post on the internet um, is going to be there, and I don't want Leo to be you know reading this stuff after or or having any kind of a record because for me it's the most important is always having protect to protect him over over anything else and and uh and my family so to say that it was hard is i mean understatement i think that you know being just being on the court and playing sometimes um was a miracle that i actually went out there and i was able to kind of like you know, put myself together and people wouldn't know what's going on. So, and I, and I don't ever look at it as, um, oh, you know, what, what, you, what you've been doing is actually um, really difficult. Like, I'm like, okay, well, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. I just have to go out there and I have to perform. And then you hear, oh, she's not the same. She doesn't play as well. She doesn't like that was unnecessary extra to to kind of deal with you know so i mean it was hard it is still hard and i think the um important thing for you is that you never wanted you never for me growing up you were never poor poor me you never want to be poor poor me feel sorry for me um you're always so self-motivated to be able to go and give a hundred percent every time you walk on the court. This is what you're so admired by for on tour with other players. Um, but also knowing you like giving a hundred percent is always been your number one thing, you know? Um, but, but I think it's normal also for people to know. And I think one of the things that I love about this podcast and having people get to know, these tennis players is that you're all human, right? And you've got things that are going on that nobody sees behind the scenes. Yeah. Of course, you're a public figure and you don't want things out in the public. It's yeah. very hard not to tell your story to be like, yeah, but, but listen, you know, you want to just go and play and you don't want to get asked these questions all the time, but, but it's also, it's your life, you know, and it's, and it's not, it's not easy. And 
performing in a, on a tennis court in front of 10,000 people and you being everyone expecting you to be at your best is not easy. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was, I mean, I look at it as like, okay, learning experience, right? Because that's what, that's what I've always been. That's what made me, I think, you know, the champion that I am and is learning how to get out of the situations that are been in front of you. And that's kind of been, you know, something that keeps pushing me. Like, I mean, there, everybody had their own moments of weaknesses and stuff, but like, I know that no matter what, like, I'm never going to give up no matter how good or bad I feel like I will, you know, be sad for a moment, but then I'm going to keep going. So, you know, this, the situations like this, um, I've definitely grown so much as, as a person compared to, you know, as a tennis player and people, when you go to the tournament, it's like people look at you as a tennis player. It's like the human side doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's like you play and you win or you lose and that's what you define by kind of, and that's, that's fine. But, you know, you have your own like self evolution that you go through and then, you know, you answer like these questions that that I understand this is part of the job. It's like, so where you when you, when you were to in 2012, how far you come from there? And it's like, you know what, like super far. But all you get judged by is like, yeah, but you you won that year, and this year you lost in the first round or a second round or a third round. But that's there's like some things that are a little bigger than than what it is, you know, and and um. I see with like some other players who are playing and maybe not showing their best results because of whatever reasons that they might be going through. And people are like, you know, just retire. Like, what are you doing here? Like, the fuck do you want? Like, why, like, what is your business? Why I'm playing or what I'm, why am I doing what I'm doing? And it's like, why, why is that, why is that somebody's problem? Let me be me. Let me do me. And, to other people, it's just so much, like, so much judgment and so much, you know, like, talking and stuff for for no reason. And that's, like, that's where the point is. Like, I feel like sometimes you're, like, you don't really want to, you don't want to go back into that. Like, I love tennis. I love competition. But all that bullshit around is just, mm-hmm. it's just, you don't, don't, don't really want to do that. And I'm not at the point in my career where, like, let me prove you this. Let me, like, I don't got to prove nobody nothing. I've done more than a lot of people will be able to do in their lifetime. But it's not about that. It's just about, like, seeing, like, how sometimes just damaging, you know, that type of attitude, especially for, like, young people young players who are just coming up and you know dealing with like stressful situations it's it's not it's not easy like you you, like that's where my like mama bear type of (laughs) part comes in is like the protective side you know so you feel like I mean I've known you a long time and you know I think I told you when you came back and I saw you for the first time and I, and I said this to a lot of people around me, there's no question that you changed when you came back, uh, yeah. that you were, I mean, don't take this the wrong way. You were definitely more a mama bear. You were, you were, you were, you were 
you talk more, you seemed a lot more relaxed. Um, and I think it was all for the better for you because you also recognize this is your family, like out here with the players or, you know, with, with Serena and being, you know, her being a mom as well. Like, I think you were relating better to everyone. Um, and I mean, for me, it was like, you're like a totally different person in the best of ways. Um, and I think you eating and doing what you're doing with all this stuff going on in your life is a, is a miracle, you know, and it's amazing. I'd love to see you out there playing. Um, I mean, what did you learn? What was the most, you know, lasting on this situation? Like what was the thing that you learned the most about yourself and you're still learning because you're still going through a lot of it? Yeah. Well, I definitely feel like, you know, that kind of a soft side of, of me that always been there, but been, covered by many layers of, of hard ass experience <laughs> opened up. And, um, you know, it, it, it's like, I was just having this conversation today with someone and they said like your kids, you teach kids stuff. And I always say like, how I feel is that my kid is teaching me everything. It's like, they're kind of being like a flashlight, you know, into, into the darkness of your, of your own self. And they're just pointing out, Oh, look, oh, there's something over there. There's something over there. So I definitely learned how to be softer, how to, you know, not be only thinking about yourself because that that is not existent anymore. When you when you have a kid, like you stop thinking about yourself at all. And um, it, it made me feel like from a different perspective, you know, from um, kind of trying to understand people better, being more aware about um other situation what are you doing <laughs> and uh, patience a little bit that i still don't have a lot of <laughs> i think you have great patience um yeah no, it's with, with him i actually do like with it's just like with myself you know it's um what, what actually I, it also taught me is like how um how strong i can be for somebody so I'm learning how to be as strong for myself in a way, like relearning that stuff. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a lot of things changed for me. Honestly, even um, in 2000, I would say in 2015, um, the way I was on the tour. Um, and it, it, it feels like there's just, unfortunately, there sometimes you are around people that feel the need to protect you and i'm gonna because people don't understand don't see my quotations <laughs> protect you air quotation marks right shield you from everything and everyone to kind of feel control over you you know to manipulate you into into whatever situations and um i've had that and i've i felt like i've been in a way isolated from anybody and everybody you know and and i not necessarily that that much because it's very hard to put like isolate me completely because of my personality but i felt that um i wasn't close enough with my with the players with especially with with people around because you know we're all busy we're all doing our stuff our stuff but um there's we're still around each other and we still need to find a way to communicate with one another and just be just be nice so from from that moment it kind of like opened up my eyes and i was able to 
to be more um more open and be more myself because for a few for a few years i was really you know closed and like didn't really want to um uh be connected to anybody but but after that it really helped me to open up and i i enjoy uh i enjoy being in that you know in 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 this type of energy and uh, connecting with people so but it's you know it's there are some people around you know tour in your life that are unfortunately are not a great influence and we have to experience that to to know better and how to you know move past that and also to see it and it's probably a good thing for you to see it maybe you you're going to be that great influence over somebody one day and be like, mm, maybe you should just watch out for that. Cause I can see you being an amazing mentor, like in your older years, not yet. You still got a while. To go. um, I mean, I, I think, I think that's important. And I hope like, you know, players and, and um, some older players who have their experience sometimes share that with, with younger players. Um, so, so they have, um, kind of an understanding that is Vika telling uh, Leo not to use the headphone caps yeah <laughs> but on that note Vika like you are being really great over the last couple of months with social issues like with um you know really getting behind Black Lives Matter you you know reposted uh Coco Goff and said how you know you go Coco and I'm sure that's the mama bear coming out in you as well and you did you know a bunch of stuff with a, a front line <laughs> workers with um covid and i just see you really you're you're trying to be a macro view on the world now and has that changed since since obviously having leo and just take trying to take that knowing that you are a voice and it's important for you to use it in the right way well i think you know i think it's 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 really about like fine balance because you know there's there are things in the world that that happen and you just can't ignore them and you live in the same world, you know, something like thing with black lives matter is, is a really, really difficult subject for me to understand. I'm from a different country and uh, I've never had any experience like that. And it's, and it's been a, a difficult, difficult, you know, situation for me to even understand. And I had this conversation one time with, like with Serena actually and I understand like I can never understand that emotion just the emotion of like just hating someone because of their skin color or whatever like it just doesn't like I can't even understand that so you know going beyond like understanding what people are feeling I, I can't say what I, I I can't say that I understand I absolutely can't but you know I just want to be helpful where I can be helpful no matter what the situation really is. It's like, if I can help somebody to do better or to be better, why wouldn't I take the chance to do that? And unfortunately, like with sometimes with people um, use, you know, some people, when you say something, they use you as a front line for their, for their agenda, if it's good or bad. So sometimes you just like have like, you feel like, oh, do, do I want to say something? Do I, do I have a backlash? And it's like this stuff with the social media backlash, you know, from it's like, it's, it's extra. Just, just be nice. Try to be helpful. Listen sometimes more than talk, you know, and, and then just do, do your best in, in anything. And, uh, you know, and I hear sometimes 
like you you help somebody with this and then somebody else comes oh well you didn't help us with that and you're like well i can't be everywhere all the time i've got enough issues <laughs> i just like you know like it, it, it sometimes it's just overwhelming because even if you do good it feels like sometimes it's not enough or like you know it's not but you know you still gotta keep going and so Vika, I mean, you know, I, I gotta, I'm going to bring it up just because, I mean, why not? But, you know, the retirement, I mean, that is far from your thought process right now, I would imagine, because I see, I mean, I see you still playing. I can't really say that. I can't really say that because I wasn't even sure I was going to come and play again. I honestly haven't touched my record since September until... February and um, I really wasn't sure if I'm gonna play um, so I can't really say that I'm not thinking about it I haven't thought about it sometimes I just keep you know I, I want to try to play again because I really feel like I can still do and I can learn as long as soon as I feel like I can't learn anything I can cannot go further um, I think that's where it's gonna be a moment for me and um, that's that's kind of it you know it's like self i guess self-progress when self-progress stops on the court because you know in life it will never stop we um i'm gonna keep trying to play and um i honestly thought i would never play past 27 but here we are so <laughs> it's it's um yeah, we'll see. I don't. I just don't want to predict anything because I feel like every time I, I say something that's going to happen and nothing happens. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I can tell you that. I mean, for God's sake, I want you to keep playing for as long as you have the passion and you love it because, you know, you're you you you're a great rare player in the fact that you know I'll say to even with Jeannie last week and I, we were watching you play and I just said you know Vika is such a good she's such a good role model for every young player to watch because every point is at at 100 capacity every time whether you win or lose the point it's your passion for giving your best is it's a rare thing and a lot of players get very upset and they you know play one or two bad games and they get down on themselves but you've always been such a great role model for these young kids and so i i just hope you keep playing being happy because that's super important for so much of us that, that love to watch you play keep doing yeah that's that's really like you know what i'm working on is like to find that balance to 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 go out there and just enjoy because it. it's been a while since i had that feeling you know and it obviously shows with with, with the results and stuff. So, you know finding myself that you know going through this these difficult times is i feel like in the end, the reward of that and that feeling to regain that back, that's what's going to be worth it. So that's why, you know, kind of going through this tough time is, is important for, for, to be able to appreciate it probably more after. And I think, you know, when, when people like, I remember people asked me like, how does it feel to win your Grand Slam? And honestly, my first feeling was relief. Yeah. It wasn't like joy or anything it was just like relief finally like and you and you don't think about oh i just wanted just like all of those bad kind of days and those tough moments that's where you kind of relieve and then everything else shows up so you know i feel like the when you when you do have that success um is is built on a lot of failures but definitely it's like 
um, it's hard to, you know, appreciate when when something is given to you, and rather than something is is you you really earned earned then. So well, I don't know. Maybe this crazy time with COVID and not being able to play and spending time with Leo and you know getting all of that sort of settled in your life is maybe a blessing in disguise that. Maybe a lot of players don't, re like everyone else is chomping at the bit. Maybe it was a good thing for you to step away and, and be told you can't play. Um, and maybe it'll reevaluate how you feel about going forward, whether it's to play on or, you know, to, to spend the family life that you want to now and, and make something of that. So maybe it's, maybe it's a blessing in disguise either way with you. Yeah, I think so. I think that that is, um, I mean, no matter how hard it is to think now, it's just, it definitely makes you pause and think about, things that you don't you kind of blame on being busy and not being able to address that and now it's like well you've got all the time in the world so <laughs> let's see how you feel today and then we'll check in back tomorrow and then i'm still gonna be here the next day so might as well talk to me <laughs> no excuses no mm -hmm. listen Mika, I don't want to keep you much longer because Leo, Leo, you have been very patient and I want to thank you for giving mom up for a little while so she can talk to us in the, in the podcasting world. And Vika, I just want you to know, I, I just adore you and, you know, I've, I've watched you grow from this young, skinny, little precarious, uh, <laughs> uh, an incredible woman, an amazing mom and... Um, Come on, I'm still skinny. <laughs> <laughs> still skinny um but you know i want you to keep playing as long as you have the passion and you love it because there's very rare athletes that come along like you on the tennis tour that just that gives as much as you do and and um i know that the last couple of years has been tough but you have come through it um as tough as anybody i know so uh so thanks for sharing some of your story with us thank you thank you for having me and uh i'll see you soon renee you better i better see you soon and that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.